the really important thing is that it's by however a, a church does it, and churches do it in different ways, what we are actually doing is saying, I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing myself to the Lord, and I'm committing myself to you. And that brings together two really important elements in the Christian life, our, our faith and trust in Christ and our life for Him, but also that we commit ourselves to all those in the fellowship to whom He has committed Himself. And so becoming a formal member of the church is very, very important. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're just going to read four verses this morning, verses 22 through 25. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning and to, to talk about the role of church membership, really our place and function in the local church. Um, it's down to relationships. It's down to what it means to be in a relationship with God and also with our church family. Um, while you're turning there, I was just thinking about our sermon, the message, and the scriptures this morning, and I was thinking about a, just kind of our own personal Experience when we were in Virginia at Red Lane Baptist Church, um, I had band rehearsals every Monday night. And because of that, Katie had to find somebody to come to the house so she wasn't stuck with all the kids during all those times that I was in band rehearsal and choir rehearsal and all the things. And so it became a thing where our young adult small group that we led there, just much like we do here, um, some of the ladies in the small group would come to our house and they began a Bible study and fellowship, had dinner together, really ended up becoming where they were walking through life together. And they developed in, in that um, Bible study some very long, lifelong, I would say, friendships. In fact, one of them, Sarah, was here this last week. If you've met her, I'm so sorry if you've met her. She's been around. She never goes away. And uh, so she was here this last week. And um, it's, that's kind of what's cool about that, and I would say, is that it's good, I would say, when we have friendships that go from inside the church walls to outside the church walls, that we have church family that we see, that we talk to, that we walk through life with, and that's kind of what this sermon's going to be about. It's not just our walk with the Lord, which is what comes first, but it's also how that goes into our relationships with our church family. So our aim is this. The local church thrives when its members cultivate their relationships with the Lord first and then with each other. One more time. The local church thrives when its members cultivate their relationships with the Lord first and then with each other. The verses leading into 22 through 25, verses 19 through 21, talk about Jesus as our high priest. He is the one who, um, before he came and did what he did on the cross so that we could be saved, there was a veil that separated us from the presence of God in the temple. And after he died on the cross, that veil was torn. We no longer needed a high priest to go into the temple for us. And because of that, we can have a direct relationship with God, a relationship that is real. And on the basis of that, the writer of Hebrews writes these four verses talking about the relationship that we can have with God and then the relationship that we should have with other Christians, more specifically our church family. So let's read these four verses together, starting in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our, our message this morning, there's four points, not three, as is the typical preacher way to do it. There's four points, each of them coming out of one of the verses. So we're going to walk through this passage together again, verse by verse, and see what it has to say, starting with verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Point number one, draw near to God. Draw near to God. This first statement really comes with a qualifier. It says, draw near to God with a true heart. Throughout the sermon, I'm going to give you four Greek words. If you know me, I'm a, very, I'm a teacher at heart. I teach at the seminary. And so you're just going to get a presentation this morning is really what this is. And we're going to have four Greek words that I'm going to show you throughout. The first one comes right here where it's talking about the word true. In the Greek, you could also say it as real or genuine, to have a sincere or authentic heart. Uh, the la one of the word songs that uh, Clint did just a minute ago was perfect for that. It says there in the chorus that we have a heart that's sold out for God, that we have gratitude to Him for what He did for us. You know, I think a lot of times we're talking about this in context of the local church. When we come to church, it can be very easy for us to come to church, check off the box, say that we did it. We sang a few songs, even the ones maybe you didn't know or you didn't like. Um, you listened to a sermon that Brady preached. You said amen when he said something that someone across the room needed to hear. And then when you went home, you went home and you thought, well, I, it was a good day. I had some great relationships. But I don't know that I remember what Brady even said this morning. That happens. A lot of times for me, I remember the song much more quickly than I do maybe the sermon, right? That's why we post the sermons online. We want people to be able to listen to them and, and go back and take notes and stuff. But what I would say is this. If we come to church, and we're going to get more into this, if we come to church not truly engaged what's going on, I think sometimes that, that's an indication of where our heart is. God would even say, I, would, I believe that God would look at us, and he's not necessarily impressed by our actions if our heart is somewhere else, if our heart is sold out or belonging to someone or something else. That's what this verse is saying, that he's looking for a heart without divided loyalties. A heart that's not necessarily perfect, but obedient to God from the heart. That's Romans 6:17. Not self-centered, but desiring for growth in relationship with him. Not self-indulgent, but sold out for him and what he calls us to be as Christians. A true heart. Then he goes on and he says, in full assurance of faith. This is directly related to Jesus' work on the cross that we could be saved, that we could be forgiven of our sins and washed away. When you want full assurance of salvation, listen, this is, this is key. You want full assurance of salvation? A lot of people struggle with that idea. You don't reflect on your faith, but on the person who is the object of your faith. Right? The devil's trying to make us look a lot of different directions. He's pr trying to get you to doubt. He says, you don't repent enough. You're not good enough. Your faith is not strong enough. But I, you know, I, I was thinking about Eve in the garden. He did that even to her, right? The very, one of the first two people to ever live, and he, God's literally walking in the garden with them, and Satan comes up just in a, in a moment of weakness and says, did he really say not to eat of that tree? Did he really say that you can't do this or that? Did he, did, 
you you know, if you ate of that tree, if you ate that fruit, you could be just like him. Imagine what that would be like. He just gets in and just starts to creep in and make us doubt, to ask questions. And when we make it about ourselves, we're not going to find any comfort or assurance in that, right? We must remember that the assurance given to us is not on the basis of our faith, but on the basis of Christ's faithfulness to us. Remember that, I I like this, I wrote it down because I didn't want to get it wrong. Remember that it's not your hold of Christ that saves you, it is Christ. Remember that it's not your trust in Christ that saves you, it is Christ. Remember that it's not even your faith in Christ that saves you, it is Christ. His blood, his merits, his love, his sacrifice. Don't look to your hope, but to the one who is the source of your hope. Don't look to your faith, but the one who who is the founder and perfecter of your faith. I also should say our ability to draw near, this is key, and I think we all struggle with this, our ability to draw near to God in this room, um, publicly and corporately, is is directly related to our drawing near to God during the week, personally and privately. Our worship here in this room is an overflow of a full cup, hopefully, when we've spent time with God during the week. Our response to the teaching and preaching and reading of God's Word, I think, is an indication of how much time we've spent in God's Word during the week. I think some of us are even side... Maybe I shouldn't say this. Some of us are even sidelined of our usefulness to the local church when we don't take seriously the statement, let us draw near to God. So how can we do that? The next verse, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Point number two, hold fast. Let me ask you this question this morning. What is the confession of our hope? It's almost a very churchy answer. Jesus was born. He came to earth. Um, What is the confession of our hope? Jesus died for our sins. What is the confession of our hope? Jesus rose from the grave. What is the confession of our hope? Jesus saves. I think it's more personal than that. The confession of our hope is Jesus saves, yes. But you know what else? He saved even me. He saved even you. That's what we are to hold fast to. That's what we are to believe without wavering. And you know why we can do that? Because he who promised is faithful. The idea of holding on to our, the confession of our hope without wavering, I think sometimes we get it confused. We, we struggle with it. It's not some esoteric or, or abstract idea. In fact, I think it's, it's, a, it's a key aspect and one of the most distinguishing features of the Christian experience, the Christian faith, the Christian walk with the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, for a couple verses I want to read to you, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let me give you a little context. To the the church in Ephesus, Paul here in this particular passage is writing to Gentile believers who had no context for what it meant to worship Yahweh God. They worshiped many gods, little g, But they didn't have the connection that the Jews did through the law to Yahweh, to God. So Paul is saying here, you had no hope and you worshipped gods who were not real. But now, due to your saving faith in Jesus, you worship the one God 
who is real. Now due to that saving work of Christ, they've been brought near to God and joined with His family and with His church. It's that power of God that saved them that saves us today. It's that power of God that keeps us. We cannot keep ourselves. This is the ground of our assurance and the confession that we hold on to without wavering. This truth should be compelling. You know, I'm, I'm dry, I'll admit it. Brady runs around the stage. He just does all these things. He cries like a baby. He does all this stuff. I'm not that person. But let me just say this. Even in my introverted personality, as much as I can say that we should be excited about that, I think that that's true, that we should be excited about that. This truth, this gospel that we say we believe in, this salvation story that we each as Christians claim as our own, is something that we should be excited about. In fact, it should motivate us to share the gospel. In my opinion, this church should be full, should be bursting at the seams with people that we are inviting, your friends and my friends who we are inviting, that we know when they come here, they're going to hear a word from God's word and that they're going to hear a message that could potentially change their lives and probably will. We've seen two uh, baptisms just in the last hour from people who the gospel has changed their lives. We should be excited about that. Why in the world would we want to keep this gospel to ourselves? The first half of this passage, passage is written regarding the individual Christian's relationship with God. The next two verses of the passage is written to the individual Christian's relationship with the local church. Let me say something else, and we're going to get into this more specifically. But I've, I think it's pretty clear that the next two verses are not allowing for the Christian to live in isolation. There's nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in Scripture that you're going to see that there's a Christian who operates by himself. Go check it out. I'm not wrong. I promise. Ask my wife. I am never wrong. Okay, you go find it. Find one place and come tell me where there's one place that Christians operate alone. It's always in the context of an assembly, of a team, a mission team, um, a gathering. There's always, I mean, Paul's writing letters to the church because they need to hear from someone who's grounded in his faith, has got some experience, has got a word from the Lord. There's never a time when a Christian operates by themselves. It doesn't happen. To be called into Christ is, be, is to be called into his family. To isolate ourselves from our family is to give indication of a problem that needs to be addressed. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next two verses. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So the point is stir up one another. The writer is literally saying we need to pay attention to each other. Pay attention to each other. Consider one another. Here's another Greek word for you. Katanumen. I'm stepping out on a limb there. Katanumen. For consider. That's the word for consider. It actually is a little more specific. It says consider carefully. Be intentional about what it is that you do towards your fellow church family. How much consideration, let me ask you this, and it's speaking to myself as well. How much consideration did you give to the impact that you would have on someone when you came to church this morning? The conversation that you might have, the handshake in the lobby. How much consideration on your drive up here or when you woke up this morning, you did your daily devotional maybe, did you have towards the impact you would have on someone else when you came to church? The Bible's saying here that if this is going to happen in the family of faith, we have to do it with purposeful thoughtfulness with intentional action. There's another um, translation, Christian Standard Bible actually, that uses the term provoke for stir up. 
Um, I think we don't, I don't necessarily like that translation quite as much. And the reason for the word provoke is I, that I don't like it is because the word provoke tends to, in our, when we use it, has a negative connotation probably more often than not. Provoke someone to anger, just make them really mad. Um, when we shouldn't be doing that, right, in the local church. I, uh, I didn't write his name down, I should have, but I was, when I was studying, there was a preacher that said, rather than provoking one another to anger, think about how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. But we don't do that very well, I, I would say. Um, there's a movie that I watched a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife and the kids kind of were in and out. A movie called Wild Hogs. How many of you have seen that movie, Wild Hogs? Yeah. Um, it's about four guys. Brady, you would associate with this really well. Four guys who are middle-aged. They're in a midlife crisis of sorts. This is recorded forever, so, yeah. And, um, yeah, okay. Uh, so they, they are just kind of having a crisis of, of action. What are they supposed to do? What, now, now they feel like they've kind of lost their young um, zeal, their, um, their ex the time to do experiences, all these things that now they've got a family. They don't get to do anything with their lives, they think. So they decide that they're going to go on a trip. They're going to take their Harleys, and they're going to drive basically cross-country, coast-to-coast. They go from one side to the other. On their way, they come into a town for, if you've seen it, for a lot of reasons, but they come into a town, and there's some locals there that um, they end up kind of getting along with, and they see the town. They do some different things. There's a festival they go to. Along the way, some of the locals, I think it's the sheriff deputies and a couple others, they take them to this ranch outside of town, and at the ranch, there's this big metal fence, a, a pin that has a bull, a longhorn in it, horns and everything. And he's by himself. There's nothing else in the, in the pen with him. And he's facing away from the guys. They're kind of outside the fence on this side. And one of the sheriff deputies says, hey, why don't one of you go and slap the bull on the rear end? It's dumb. It's dumb. But he... One of them does it, and he sneaks up over here, and he gets real close, and he slaps it on the rear end and takes off running. The bull doesn't respond, doesn't chase him. He just stays there. So he's real full of himself. Yeah, I did it. And Tim Allen's character, Tim Allen's in the movie, and Tim Allen thinks, well, I can do that. And he gets off and starts sneaking over. What he doesn't hear is the conversation that happens on the side that says this is not going to go well, so well for him because now the bull's alert. So he gets over there and sneaks up real close and slaps it. This time the bull bucks up, makes a lot of noise, and turns around and chases him off. And the guys are screaming at him, hurry up, hurry up. The music gets real loud, and, you know, it's a comedy, so it just kind of gets outlandish. And the bull, unrealistically, I would think, kind of basically just hits him in the back and throws him over the fence, and it becomes this whole thing. But the bull was not doing anything, right? He was doing what he does, as animals do. they just hanging out. But these guys decide that they've got to, they've messed with it. They, they slap it on the rear end and expect that he's just going to sit there and do nothing, which was really, really dumb, right? But I think that we can be good at that as well. We can be doing what we do as Christians in the church. We serve in one area or we do certain, th excuse me, certain things. And all of a sudden there's some kind of disagreement, some kind of something that we just really get at odds with one another. And it's easy for us to provoke one another to anger that's that's it's silly that it happens in the local church but it happens all the time people leave the church for silly things such as this 
They leave because maybe they disliked the direction the church is headed. Or they had a disagreement and their feelings were hurt and they couldn't get along. Um, maybe they claim that they can worship God better alone. People leave the church, though, I, I would venture to say that they're focusing on themselves. They're not thinking how they can stir up one another and encourage one another to love and good works. Instead, they're thinking things like, my needs aren't being met. I would rather just stay at home in my pajamas and watch it online. Whatever it is, it's about themselves. Here's the deal. You can practice your faith alone, and you should. But if you aren't around to encourage one another to love and good works, as the Bible commands you to do, then you're, you're keeping your faith to yourself. And what good does that do? You need to gather with the saints, with your church family, which leads us right into the last verse, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Nothing we do, oh, I'm sorry, point number four, so I can give it to Matthew. Meet together, meet together. Nothing that we do at church, in church, or as a church can take place if the people of God are absent when they should be present. It's just that simple. I think everything that we've read so far has been leading to this final call of action. If the people of God are going to draw near together, if the people of God are going to confess Christ as Lord together, if they're going to care for one another and walk through life together, then they have to spend time together. They have to worship together. They have to open God's word together. They have to be regular in attendance. They have to be regular in participation. They have to be energized and active in their discipleship. We have to encourage one another. And then it ends by saying all the more. Everything else that you need to do as a church, all the more you need to do it all. all do it all because the day is drawing near. When the early church started to gather, this, this letter is written to the Hebrews, Jewish Christians. When the early church first started to gather, think in the times immediately after Christ, maybe in the first 100, 200 years, there was a lot of um, fear, danger of uh, death, really, a lot of people who were gathering and not really sure what would happen to them. People who were, they were under persecution, they were scared for their lives, and they would have to sneak around and meet, hopefully not bringing attention to themselves so they could still worship or open God's word together, encourage one another in Christ. The writer here is saying that they need to meet anyway. The gathering is worth the risk because the benefit is so great. Don't not meet. There's two more Greek words here in this verse I want to share. The first one is for the word neglect. This one is a little more stern, I think, and pointed. In the English, you could say, don't stay behind and not meet together. Don't remain where you are. But as it says on the screen, I think it's more specific. And probably more accurately, it says, don't desert and not meet together. Think about that in the context of the early church. These people are scared for their lives to go. And some people are gathering. Some people are doing what they need to do. And he's saying, for all those of you, all of those who are not, don't you dare desert your Christian brothers and sisters and not go to church. You need to get out, risk it, because the benefit is great. Get to church, go gather with them. In my humble opinion, in our church or in churches today, I think if we thought about, thought about it as we were deserting our church family when we didn't come on Sunday mornings, I think it changes our perspective a little bit the priority that we have or maybe the lack thereof of our priority to come to church because we needed an extra hour or two of sleep that sleep was just really important this morning 
Or maybe you heard that I was preaching and I preach long and monotone and it just is what it is and the cowboy game's coming on soon, right? Um, the kids were extra, couldn't do it. Uh, we'll try again next week. I can watch it in the live stream. That's good enough for today. But those aren't, those, those, really those, ex there are excuses that are trivial and meaningless in the long run. I think it's an indication of how, how, how invested we are in our church family. Listen, here's the, here's the key that I'm trying to say here. We should not be trying to find a way not to be here. But yet, I think we find it easier to, I mean, we can always find some reason. Sunday's family day. Man, today, I just, it's the one day I can sleep in, Ricky, and we'll try it again. I, you know, I, I promise I'll watch you online. And I keep dogging on the live stream stuff. It's important because we get to show who we are and people who are maybe visiting or thinking about visiting, they can check it out. And those who are out of town or vacation or working or whatever, that's, that's great. It's a tool for that. But it's not church. It's not. You cannot get church out of staying in your pajamas, maybe having your Bible in your lap and turning on the live stream and watching it. That's not church. I'm sorry, but it's not. We should be here unless there's some kind of act of God or emergency that says, I just can't do it. Something's going on, I can't be there. Instead, we should be here not out of compulsion or not out of a guilty feeling that we're going to have later, but because we know that we can't miss it. It's literally what fills us up for the week. It's literally the opportunity that we have to worship and spend time with people who believe the same thing that I do. I'm at work and nobody cares about what I believe. I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and they don't care. I can worship with my church family and we can be united in Christ together for at least an hour and 15 minutes a week, right? It's got, we've got to take it that seriously. What if we thought about gathering with our church family in the same way as this verse says and don't desert them? Don't desert them. The second word, the last word in Greek I wanna share, episynagogen, also more specific. The writer is saying you should not neglect the gathering of Christians at a specific location together. In other words, there's an importance and priority in the type of gathering and where it is. It's not just showing up and singing songs and reading a book and listening to a speech. It's not a concert. It's not a self-help seminar. It's not a daycare. It's also not a place where we come and we do traditions for tradition's sake because we've done it one way for 50 years and that's that's good. It's not a religious ritual. It's not dressing up in Sunday best. We have to make sure we come to church for the right reasons. And if we're not, I would venture to say that that's the, that's the, that's the leading into possibly not coming to church at all because we're not coming to church for the right reason. This verse, I also want to say, let me, let me kind of change gears. This verse also, I think, is not talking just about the worship service at 1045. If you look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this next week, so I don't want to read it and get ahead of ourselves. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter is the Pentecost. The end of the chapter is the church in action. We're seeing it form. We're seeing the, the Christians go to temple together. They're going to church together. They're also spending time in each other's homes. Actually, there's two references to that. They're spending time in each other's homes. They're also breaking bread together. They're spending time together, opening God's word, encouraging one another. For us in our context, at the very least, at the very least, that's small groups at 9.30 and worship at 10.45. I don't think it's wise, and maybe, maybe you can have a reason, and I, I'm, it is what it is, but let me just tell you what I think, according to what Scripture says here. 
There should not be a reason, I think, that you come to small group at 9.30, spend time with people, and then go home. Maybe it's because you don't like the songs that Ricky chooses, you don't like the style, you don't like the presentation. You know what? Okay. But we're supposed to gather at 10.45 for worship. Maybe you're coming at 10.45, sneaking in around 10.50 after you've gotten your coffee and the announcements are over, and you did not come to small group at 9.30. Well, that's not wise either because that's where we get to dive into God's word with our church family. In fact, I would venture to say that it makes our worship together at 1045 a little bit sweeter when you've walked through life with people in your church family. Let me give you an example, and I warned her it was coming. In fact, Brady did it. Uh, This morning we had two baptisms, and one of them was Mariah baptizing Brittany. I could say a whole lot about Mariah from up here that I'm not going to say, but I can say one thing positively about her. This morning she got in the baptism, one thing, that's right, one thing. I got, she got in the baptism with Brittany, baptistry with Brittany, after investing in Brittany, inviting Brittany to church, getting her to go to small group, walking through life with her, sharing the gospel with her, making sure that she knew that she had a friend in Christ. Because of that, it's basically discipling. It's saying, I care about you and for your, um, your salvation and for your walk with the Lord and your investment in the local church. Because of that, Brittany goes and talks to Brady and says, I've got to get baptized. I've got to let everybody know at Oak Grove that I'm saved. I want to be a member of this church. I want to be invested in this church. She's been coming to small group. She's been a part of everything that we do now. That's a sign of someone who's been discipled. But not only that, can you imagine what it looks like for the two of them to stand there together and worship alongside one another and be able to lift high the name of Jesus because of the relationship between the two of them? That doesn't happen at 1045 in worship. It just doesn't. In fact, it only happened because she brought her to church first. Because she shared the gospel and and, and invested in her and encouraged her and got her to come, now she can worship with us at 1045. I think we should should take more seriously what it means to be with our church family outside of worship at 1045. And then hopefully we actually gather at 1045. We only do it once, so it should be important that we're here. I should also say, parents, your kids are watching. This is for free. Parents, your kids are watching what you do on Sundays, what you do to make the choice to go or to not go to church, to read your Bible or not read your Bible, your decisions when it comes to your Christian faith and walk with the Lord. Do you make it a priority? Do, you, do they know that it's not an option to miss? Then you know, their spiritual life depends on these kinds of decisions, and so does yours. When you're absent at a time the church body gathers, this is another interesting note, when you're absent at a time like this, not only are you depriving yourself, depriving yourself of the ministry that the church provides, you're also depriving someone that you could talk to this morning of the ministry that only you can provide. I think it also says something about yourself when you're not here and the way the Bible says it, you desert or abandon and neglect the person that you could have poured into. The verse, the end of this verse speaks to that. It says, encourage one another. In other words, we come for the gathering. When we come for the gathering, we should be thinking about how we make a positive contribution to, the help, to a helpful result. The basic idea here is we strengthen, exhort, support, and encourage each other. This is the difference between coming to church to see what you get out of it instead of what you can give to it. It's a hard issue beginning of the sermon we talked about drawing near to God with a true heart 
devoted and sold out for him. I think it can be obvious in our actions when it comes to who we are and how we are as a church member when we want to give everything that we have to the church and not just come and be a pew filler, pew warmer, but more we should be a pew filler, I should say. Let me wrap it up. The role of the church member in the local church is really a calling to something greater than ourselves. Christ has gifted us his church. Do you know that? That's, it's, the fact that we get to go to church together and have a relationship with one another, that's a gift. It's also a responsibility to be here, yes, but it's a gift from God. And each Christian plays a part in its effectiveness for ministry and spiritual growth. We can't truly be of any benefit to this body of believers if we're not first and foremost investing in our personal relationship with the Lord and then our relationships with each other. If we do that, the desire of our heart will be to plug into the local church, invest in your church family, and seek to support the ministries that Oak Grove provides. Quint's going to come. He's going to do a response. I think at the end of the day, our goal should be as, as church members to magnify and lift high the name of Jesus. And if we do that, then everything else that we do is an overflow and in direct response to wanting to worship Jesus, to running to worship Christ. And that includes being a member of a local church, being a part of a local church, operating with the local church, being in relationship with the local church. Everything that we do is in response to worshiping Jesus first. I would ask as we go into response, we do this every week, but I would ask that no one leaves. Can you just for five minutes, ten minutes, just stay in the room? This is probably one of the most important times of the worship service. Did you know that? There's somebody in here that needed to hear, even though it was me, somebody needed to hear what I had to say. Somebody needed to hear what God had to say, what God's word said this morning. Someone in here is going through something, struggling with something, and maybe this was an encouragement, not just me, but the worship that we got to have through song together, the encouragement of missions and being able to do that together, seeing all those kids leave and go to kids' church. Something about this worship together was an encouragement that someone needed to see or to hear we us leaving or us not in partaking in that with our church family can be a distraction please just hang out for a second maybe you needed to hear the gospel this morning and i did that hopefully well hopefully you understand with the gospel that jesus died and rose again because we were sinful and separated but now we can have a relationship with him that's the gospel maybe you are looking for a home church I've, I've said what it looks like for the most part to be a member of a local church. Now could be the time to do that. Maybe you're a Christian who's been saved for a week or been saved for 50 years. Maybe you just need to be invigorated or reinvigorated in your faith, in your walk with the Lord, in your investment in the church. Now's the time to do that. As we sing the song together, Christ be magnified, I would like to just worship together and respond to the preaching of God's word together, I think one of the most important times of the service. Not because of what I said, but because of what God is doing in us and the Holy Spirit's calling on our lives as Christians. Everybody in here has something to pray for. None of us have it perfect, and none of us have it just going on just fine. Pray for someone. Pray for what's happening in your life. Thank God for the church. Whatever that is, everyone in here has something to pray for. Let's take this moment and pray and sing and magnify the name of Jesus. There's going to be people down here that you can pray with, um, but we're all going to sing together. Let's pray before we do this. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word and for the local church. I thank you for Oak Grove, for Pastor Brady who leads it. 
for your word upon which everything that we do here is built. I thank you for these people. I thank you for a church family. I thank you for the encouragement that we get from each other. Just ask that you would step on our toes a little bit, that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us, that we would just feel in a palpable way what we need to be praying for, what we need to be thinking about, who we need to be encouraging, that if we need a church home, now's the time to do it. If we need someone to pray with, that we grab them and we pray with them, that we would just respond to who you are, what you've done, and what you've told us this morning. Just move amongst us in this time. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.